and amen. <clears throat> well, we looked at this passage uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, I just want to look at it again. I'm going to review a little bit because uh, it's so important to our lives, and then I'm going to take it uh, a little bit, uh, go beyond where we left off. Jesus says in verse 37, John 7, verse 37, I have it right here on the, on the handout, on a heart flowing like a river. It says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. And as the Scripture has said, I mean, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit. Now, the uh, passage here, that uh, we would have out of our heart flowing a river of living water. Now, we've heard this term. It's such a dynamic promise that it kind of makes its way on its uh, uh, a fair amount of Christian you know, greeting cards and Christmas cards and all kinds of things because it's such a dynamic statement. You find it kind of on posters and things, but I'm not sure that the body of Christ has really uh, taken hold of this this is literal, this is real, and this is for you. And I remember the time uh, in my life when, uh, to some degree, I looked at this passage and said, I'm serious about this. This is for me. It's not just a, a poster or a, a Christian greeting card. This is the real deal. There, something dynamic happens in your heart when you determine this is your inheritance and your destiny. I mean, really. When you determine, why not me? I mean, if God is offering this to the human heart, why not me? Why not now? Why not here? I don't mean, uh, Lord, give it to IHOP. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about there's a time in your heart, in your life, where in your heart you say, I'm going for it. Why can't I have a heart flowing like a river on the inside? It's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural activity of the Holy Spirit that is available to every single human being. Now, they have to call on the name of Jesus, and in doing that, they become saved. But He's still offering it to the whole human race. He's, he's offering it to anybody that wants to have a heart flowing supernaturally like a river. With the power of God touching their emotions. Beloved, I, I just want to... Uh, Hold this before you as a sober promise. It is your inheritance. It's your destiny. And my prayer and, and my exhortation, don't settle for less than this. So your ministry might be growing. So people might be even uh, being impacted by what you're doing. Don't sell out for that. God has promised you. God Himself has promised you a heart flowing on the inside supernaturally. Depression is not your inheritance. Now, depression is what we inherit in the natural automatically. But our spiritual inheritance is more than living barely saved, mostly depressed. Now, I'm not in any way putting down people that uh, struggle with depression. It's a, it's, a real, it's a real enemy that comes to attack us. And one of the reasons the enemy attacks us with uh, depression and the spirit of heaviness so much I mean, this is a one dimension of it, is because he knows if he, can, if he can put the fire out now, he won't have to deal with you later, fully released in the anointing. So it's part of the enemy's 
uh, uh, counterattack to, to cut out the fire in your life before you ever release it to others in the dimension that God's called you to. So it's almost a, a compliment of the devil because he's threatened and he doesn't want you to come to the fullness of your destiny because you will cause him so much trouble and so much turmoil. So know that. It's the enemy's trying to, to, uh, to preempt that which God has called in your life. But, but moving on, I want to say this. God has more for us than even being spiritually bored and burnt out. How many believers? Certainly the vast majority. If you, if you interviewed them, well, I'm a little bit dull. You know, it's not really what it should be. It's not what it used to be. The word's kind of boring. Spirit of prayer's never really been there. Worship, I kind of like worship because the music's good. I don't want to boast in our worship, but, but, the, but the music's good. <laughs> That little guy's gonna come back, and I'm, he's gonna come back with fire one day, and, uh, you wait and see. <laughs> but, uh, nah, the Lord says, I have more for you than that. But nobody can decide this for you, and nobody can convince you of this. But I wanna tell you just a little bit about my story, very, very brief, just as simple as I've said. There was a time in the Lord that I said, when I looked at this verse, and I mixed it together with John 4, 14, it's the same uh, passage, I put them two together, and uh, I said, I'm going for it. And really how I was inspired by it wasn't so much by just reading it, I was reading the testimony of my hero at that time, J. Hudson Taylor, and the, life, the verse that changed his life was John 4, 14 and John 7, 38, and uh, he was uh, the, the famous, uh, well-known missionary to uh, China. He was a medical doctor from England that spent his entire adult life in China, gave himself into the harvest of China. About 1850s is when he went there, just a little before. And he was, I read three of his biographies when I was 17 and 18 years old. He was my first hero. And it was just a little bit of time after that I was rereading one of them. And, I, and, I, and, I, and it struck me in a way it hadn't the, uh, the, uh, when, when, when I had read the uh, three different biographies. It struck me one time. It was a year or two years in my early 20s. I when J. Hudson Taylor was giving the testimony of how this verse was illuminated in his heart by the Holy Spirit. And that struck me. I said, I never thought of this verse being illuminated in my heart by the Holy Spirit. And because he was my main hero, I said, huh, why not me? And I paused and I looked at it and I said, I'm, I'm, I think I'm serious about this, Lord. And it grew on me over a couple of days and over a few weeks. And this became a very, very important passage in those early days. And it still is to this day. And I don't mean uh, just a passage to, to look at and think... Uh, it's one of my favorite ones I like to quote. I mean, I, I began to adopt it as a sober spiritual inheritance and destiny that I could experience in this life, not just when I die. And I admit that most of the people around me were not, certainly didn't look like they were experiencing it, and they didn't look like they were even aiming at experiencing it. But I said, Lord, if the human heart can walk in this, why not me and why not now? And I certainly uh, don't claim to have walked in it in a, in a deep way, but I do claim to have pursued it and gone after it. And gone after it. And my goal tonight is not so much even to tell you the conditions, my, although we're going to talk about a few conditions. My real goal tonight is that some of you would buy into it for the first time that this verse is your inheritance and it is truly your destiny in this life. And no matter how good your ministry is going, you don't want to settle for a big ministry, even a lively ministry, even a respected ministry. You want to go all the way and settle for an inward experience of a flowing heart. You don't settle for less. 
Don't get by with uh, whatever you need to get by with to, to make sure you have uh, fire insurance, that, that you es- escape uh, hell in eternity. We want to live on fire. We, we sang the song earlier about a burning heart. Lord, we want to have a burning heart. The burning heart is our inheritance. A flowing heart. Now, you could call it many things if you want. Uh, Ezekiel, the famous Old Testament passage that's talking about this very promise. Ezekiel 36, 26. The Lord says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll take out the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now, we think of the heart of flesh. Who wants a fleshly heart? And, and Isaiah was not, I mean, Ezekiel uh, 36, 26 wasn't meaning a heart of flesh in a negative sense, like a carnal heart. He meant a tender heart instead of a stony one. God's will, God's desire, God's inheritance is to take out the stony heart, the heart of stone, and to give you a heart of flesh, to give all of us a tender heart that is that feels the presence of God in our heart on a regular basis. I don't mean every day, all day, but I mean as a substantial rule in our life, we can discern and sensibly feel the presence of God. Now, I know that we tell people, and we have to tell them, this is important, we, that we, uh, we live by faith. We live by what the Word says, not by what we feel. That our, The anchor is by what the Word says, not by what we feel. That is the anchor. And when the feelings are gone, we still have we still have an anchor. We still have a lighthouse in the darkness. We have what the Word says. And there's a time, uh, many, I mean, a very important part of our life, where we say, the, it is written, thus says the Lord. And when we feel nothing, we speak His Word and line up our heart in faith with the Word of God. And though we, the anchor is the Word, there's un, undoubtedly, that is our, our, our centerpiece. That is our rock and foundation, is what the Word says, not what we feel. But on the other hand, we don't want to settle for a life without feeling. In the Spirit. We want to feel the presence of God. And I tell you, it is the will of God for the majority of your life to feel His presence. Not a hundred percent. Because He tests you. Sometimes He lifts His presence just to test you. Even though you're walking with Him fully. I'm not saying a hundred percent, but beloved, God has so much more than what we're uh, uh, settling for. He says, I would tenderize you significantly more than you're uh, willing to hold out for. You know, the problem with the church to today is we're so easily satisfied. The Lord says, I have a ten. And you took a one and you said, thanks. And you never came back. I had nine more. I had a ten for you. And you were so easily satisfied by one. Things go a little bit good. You feel the assurance of salvation. A little bit of ministry going every now and then. That little spark of the Holy Spirit's touch. And you say, yeah, it's so different than it used to be. It's a little bit of tenderizing. And the Lord says, don't be content with being better than it used to be. I want to give you a heart of flesh, a heart of tenderness, a tenderness, where you feel loved by God and you feel love back as the rule. You feel loved. Beloved, I, I want to be steady even if I don't feel it, but I love to feel loved. I love feeling loved. But there's more than that. I love to feel love in return. I don't just enjoy being loved. I enjoy loving. It's a phenomenal way to live. And to feel it is the inheritance of every believer. It's part of this tender heart. Well, it's more than a tenderized heart. This uh, heart flowing like a river. And I don't have this on the notes. It's a receptive heart to Holy Spirit information. It's a receptive heart. The Holy Spirit says, when, when, when I begin to touch you, I begin to uh, give you new capacities to receive divine information. And beloved, if being tenderized, feeling loved, and feeling loved back is good, the uh, 
Oh, the impact of receiving divine information when God reveals God to the human spirit. I mean, whether it's a dream or a vision or a word for somebody else or just the word coming alive or just the Lord speaking His word to you. When the human spirit receives revelation from the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is saying, I want to give you the capacity to receive divine information. I want to make you receptive. And it's, it's a supernatural dealing of God, not dealing, it's a supernatural work of God to make us receptive. That's part of a flowing heart. But there's more than that as well. It's more than feeling loved and receiving new information. And we, can, we call that information revelation. It's either revelation of the Word, revelation of dreams and visions, prophetic revelation, many dimensions of revelation. I love to receive revelation. We were made to receive it. I don't want to live without receiving revelation. I don't even want to think about living that way. It's another dimension of a flowing heart. It's empowered with godly desires. Empowered with godly desires. Beloved, where we actually love what we used to hate. That's a work of God. To love what we used to hate. That is God's will for you. And to hate the things you used to love. I remember, uh, I've said it so many times, but for those that are new, uh, when I was new in the Lord in those first four or five years in the Lord, uh, well, possibly a few more than that, but uh, uh, I was uh, you know, 17, 18, 19, 21, 22 in those years. And I mean, I was committed to be a man of prayer and fasting and the Word and I wanted to bring Jesus to other people. I read all these biographies and J. Hudson Taylor and Charles Finney and Whitfield and Wesley and uh, John G. Lake. And I read these great uh, C.T. Studd, all these great stories of those people who who changed uh, the world in their generation. And I said, I want to be one. And, and, and I said, oh, man, I'm really in a jam because the only way forward is through things like prayer and fasting and witnessing and Bible study. And I just thought, ugh. Because I didn't like Bible study. I didn't like prayer at all. I hated fasting and witnessing I could handle. And uh, I could do witnessing a little bit because I felt guilty. And guilt can take you a long way. You know, it's, it was a, I mean, guilt's a powerful motivator. So at least I had a little bit going for me on witnessing. But I just didn't like any of it. And I said, Lord, man, this is a bummer. I mean, I, I, I want to be one of these biography guys. I mean, I really want to go all the way. You know, I want to go all the way. But I don't like the Bible. I don't like prayer. Oh, I hate fasting and I'm just terrible at witnessing. I like meetings. I liked meetings. I liked God and I liked meetings. I could go to meetings seven nights a week. I had a tremendous appetite. But I mean, when I was alone, just me and the raw Bible, it was just, I mean, raw me and the Bible was horrible. I just looked at it, it was so confusing. It was just so boring. It was so like, Lord, if I was you, I would have made, I would have written this very differently. I mean, I can't figure anything out. You made it hard on purpose. And, and the Lord does. He lays it out in a way where He gives to you if we search it out. And uh, you already know that principle. But then I begin to love these things. And I don't mean love them because I needed to love them. I mean to where uh, I, I had, you know, I get busy doing this, that, and the other, and I have a longing, a groaning, a, a pain to get to the place to go live in that. And I went, what on earth happened to this little guy's heart? I mean, who could have thought? I mean, if you would have told me at age 18, 19, 21, 22, 23, fighting to pray every day, hating every minute of it, complaining. My prayer life was basically telling God how 
unreasonable it was to run his kingdom through prayer. I just said, Lord, it's never going to work. This thing is hard to do. And that's the only time I was actually praying is when I threw away my prayer list and just started saying, this isn't going to work. Uh, no one's going to buy into this. Uh, the, uh, your kingdom's not working on There's a reason it's not working because you're making it so hard to make it work. If you could just change this, and why can't you? And I actually was praying, you know, didn't even know it. If you would have told me then, I would have been leading a 24-hour prayer ministry where people read the Bible, fasting teams, read the Bible night and day in prayer and do fasting teams as the basis for witnessing. I would have said, you are totally crazy. Well, you said, well, what do you want to do with your ministry? I would have said, go to meetings every night. I mean, maybe for 50 years. I mean, I love it. It's not broke. Don't fix it. I go to meetings. I love meetings. I could have never imagined I would love things I love now. Never. Supernatural work of God. Many of you in this room have already experienced a dimension of that. Some more, some less. The point is, God says, I have a lot more of that for you. I have a lot more of that. Why are you settling for a one and a two when I want to give you a nine and a ten? I want to give you a fully flowing heart. That is my inheritance. Not just an anointed ministry, but a flowing heart on the inside when nobody else is around. A heart of flesh. Don't settle for anything less. Well, we looked at these the other day. It says, uh, if anyone comes to me, beloved, regardless of your situation, it could be the most demonized unbeliever right now. God is offering cleansing and tenderizing and empowering. And that very demonized person who hates the presence of God, hates the name of Jesus, can get so transformed in a relatively short amount of time, they can be flowing in the grace of God with a heart that they're feeling this tenderizing. The first point, this receptivity to divine information and this empowering of new desires. I don't care how messed up you are. I mean, out of the kingdom. If you're in the kingdom, I mean, you're right next to the fire waiting for this thing to get a hold of you. But we have to go after it and we have to do it God's way. We really have to do it God's way. And the problem is people get a little bit of the vision for it, maybe a little bit. I don't think they really buy into it, but because if you really buy into it, you won't be denied. If, if When the day comes when you believe this is your destiny and inheritance, nobody will be able to steal this from you. The day you really believe this is a, has your name on it. And that's a powerful day when that happens in your life. I'm not saying it happened to me at that early age. I'm just saying I was inspired by J. Hudson Taylor. And I begin to think, why not me? And over the years, it became more and more uh, real. And it still needs to become increasingly more real. But I love this verse. I'm preaching on this verse more for me than for you. I want to go for this, Lord. I want to go deeper in this thing. I don't care how uh, messed up you are. This thing is for everyone, anyone. Anyone who will thirst for this can have it. The next word he says, you've got to thirst. Now, there's two different dimensions. Uh, and I didn't mention this uh, a couple weeks ago, but on the thirst, this awakened desire, two different levels. Uh, the first level of awakened desire, God awakens the desire. He gives you that little spark. He gives you the initial spark that says... You know, I think I want to do this thing. There's, there's a day as a free gift of God. You didn't do a thing for it. One day you said, I think I'm going to go for this. That initial spark was the gift of God. It's called salvation. But that initial spark is the free gift. But there's more than an initial spark. There's a deeper, there's a deeper thirst. Not just the initial thirst. There's a deeper one. And that is cultivated by conscious cooperation. That deeper thirst, I don't mean the initial thirst, because that initial thirst is a gift. And you know what? You get that initial thirst, you get a a couple downloads a year, or maybe even a month. I I don't know the number. But every now and then, you can just be walking in the Lord and and, uh, not even doing much, and 
you know, every week or two or month or two or whatever, I wouldn't attempt to put a time frame on it. You're just kind of going business as usual. Maybe it's reading a book. Maybe it's reading, uh, hearing a message from somebody. Maybe it's a tape. Maybe it's a worship song. But you get that, ah, oh, i got to go for more. That, that's the Lord giving you another jump start as a free gift. He's, he's awakening that initial desire again. And what happens is we get those little, those little moments of inspiration, those little initial jump starts of awakened desire, that awakened thirst. And it just comes, it's a total free gift. It's, I call them the Holy Spirit jump starts. He's just jump starting you. And he gives you a couple of those, you know, three, four, five, or ten of those a year, whatever. And you're not doing nothing. You're not really walking with God hard. You're never reading your Bible. You're not really worshiping much. You're just kind of business as usual. And you'll kind of turn the corner one day and run into something accidentally. And it will kind of give you a moment of inspiration. The Lord says, I am giving you this Holy Spirit jump start. I'm awakening your desire so that you will feed it. You have to feed it. You have to consciously cooperate with this thing. You have to develop it in a conscious way now. Don't be content with the moments of inspiration that hit you 10 or 20 times a year, whatever, in this place. It hits you more because you're hearing teaching more uh, regularly than you did possibly where you were because you just do it all the time. You're at conferences because you're working at them. You're on worship teams because you joined one. And uh, you're just running into those little jump starts of inspiration. The Lord says, why are you selling out for the initial desire. That's a free gift. Why don't you consciously go develop it, build that thing into a bonfire, cause that thirst to be a raging thirst, and I promise you I will answer that thirst. And uh, so he says, he that thirsts. There's an initial thirst and there's a developed thirst. There's two different levels. Beloved, when you get that initial thirst, and God will give them to you your whole life. I mean, it's so nice of him. Because we're so prone to lose that thirst or that fire. I'm using that word, that, that idea synonymously. Fire for God or thirst for God or passion for God. It's all the same idea. But uh, when God gives you that little jump start, that little moment of inspiration, you read a passage, you heard a message, you heard a song, you went to a, a, a conference and you, whoa, you kind of jump started again. The Lord says, guard it with all of your heart. Take that little flame. You know, I've seen the... Uh, you know, d- different uh, uh, movies in the past where the guy's out in the wild frontier and he's starting a little fire and the wind's blowing and they, they huddle around it. You know, they're out in the f- frontier days and they get their hands around it. They get that little spark, but the wind's blowing and they have to guard it so they can start a fire in a cold time. And they're all huddled around it, that little spark, and they're putting little bits of uh, 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 dry grass around it to build a bonfire. What the Lord does, He gives you that little spark. And you know what we do? We say, oh, a little spark, cool. And we go, and the winds blow it right out. The Lord says, why don't you huddle around? Why don't you guard that thing? Why don't you consciously treasure this as the most prized possession in your life? Because that little spark in you will become a bonfire if you guard it and nurture it. If you don't guard it and nurture it, it will go out. I'll give you another jump start in another month or two. You'll kind of accidentally bump into something that gets you inspired without you even knowing you were going to be. He says, and that little flame will go out again. And I just have this picture, I've, I've just had this word picture in my mind of gathering around, you know, and the storms are blowing, and the wind, and the snow, and the little, and we're going to freeze to death, and we got a little flicker going. And the Lord says, why don't you feed that little flicker and let it become a bonfire? It will be supernatural, I will do it inside of you, and I will set you on fire, and I will make you one that sets multitudes on fire. And I don't mean you'll all have a, a platform ministry. When I mean you'll set multitudes on fire... You may be the person that sets on fire the next Billy Graham that reaches, you know, 20 million people. You don't know where that fire is going. You don't, don't worry about the, the stage or the arena. You may be one-on-one discipling the next prophet to the nations. You don't even know it. 
Your fire can touch nations. God does the math his own way. Don't worry about trying to figure it all out. But uh, I just see the Lord give these free, these f- uh, free little moments of inspiration, these, this free Holy Spirit flicker in the heart. And we go, oh, that was a great meeting. Wow. And the Lord says, I caused the flicker, the little flame to be awakened again. Well, and we just do the lifestyle that puts it right out. It's in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Solomon said it. He said, guard your heart with all diligence. It is the very issue of life itself. When your heart gets awakened, beloved, if I'm telling you this real, this will sound a little uh, maybe even hyper and exaggerated. If your heart is awakened by Holy Spirit fire, it is worth more to you, honestly, than a million dollar check in the mail. You say, try me. No, it is worth more. It is a possession that will change your entire life if you guard that and turn it into a bonfire. And you turn it into a bonfire by cooperating God's way with it. You feed it. You feed it. You feed it. You huddle around. You keep the winds and, and the things from blowing it out and the cold and the snow from falling on it and, and putting out that little flicker. You feed it. You feed it. Proverbs 4.23. Mark, mark that verse down. Guard your heart with all diligence. Guard the flicker of fire that God gave you as a free gift. Guard it. Guard it. Guard that flame. Guard that thirst. And it will become a bonfire. It will become a raging thirst that will make you great in the sight of the Lord. And what do you mean great in the sight of the Lord? I'm talking about when the Lord looks at your heart, not because you were famous in the sight of men, but the Lord looks at human responses and calls some human response great. He doesn't mean the person will be famous, but the heart response He calls great. And that needs to be all of our life vision, to be great in the sight of the Lord, meaning to have a heart response of radical. Don't diminish. Don't waste it. I I quoted the verse the other time in Mark uh, 4, verse 19. And Jesus says, uh, talks about how the seed of the Word of God is growing. And He says, but the seed is choked by desires for other things. The seed, the life of the seed is choked, and it goes out. The life goes out. Well, that's the the seed uh, being choked. Is the same idea as the little flame going out. And Jesus said, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of the kingdom secrets. That, that flame or that seed being choked, or that fire going out, the same idea, it goes out because of other desires. And I've said this uh, quite a bit in the last couple of months that we have so many appetites. We have appetite for so many things. We don't have any ravishing hunger for anything. That we just nibble at so many things in life, we don't have anything that's burning like a fire inside of us. That we nibble, we're just, it's like the person who eats all day nibbling on junk food, and uh, so they have no appetite, but they're starving to death. They're dying of malnutrition, they're dying of sickness and bad health, but they're never hungry. And that is where the body of Christ, much of it is today. They're just nibbling on so many things to where they never feel the pain of hunger. So they never feel this ravenous pursuit after God because they constantly nibble at so many things that no appetite, every appetite uh, uh, is the collection of all of them are putting out the real ravishing hunger that God created us to live by. And that's what Jesus meant in Mark 4.19. He said, he said, this is the life of the Word. You choked it. Or you could say, the flame in your heart. Or you could say, the initial thirst. It's gone because of desire for so many things that you feed your heart with. He says, come to me. Come to me. Now, of course, the, the classic verse. I mean, you just, I don't know any better verse than this one. You just, I use it every single time. Uh, but I don't know a better one. 
When Jesus looked at the Pharisees right here in John 5, uh, 39 on the notes here, he says, you search the scriptures, you study the Bible, because in Bible study you think you have the experience of the anointing. When it says you have eternal life, put the experience of God's presence or experiencing the anointing. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about getting your name on the rolls of heaven. Because, you know, you get eternal life the day you're born again. The life is now, and it just happens to go on forever. It's the anointing of the presence of God that, 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 that we're called into partnership and to experience. He says, you think that through Bible study you have, you have the experience of the glory and the anointing and the presence that happens to go forever. He says, no. He says, those things tell people about me. You have to use the scriptures to come to me to experience the presence or the anointing. You can call it life, but you might uh, uh, just uh, write down the anointing of God, the presence of God, to feel God. It's more than feeling God, of course, but that's a part of it. So what they were doing, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were reading the Bible but not actually doing anything with it that brought them into contact with the living Christ. They read the Bible, but they had a stony heart. Here's the thing. They read the Bible that spoke about Jesus, and then they murdered Jesus. Jesus said, the Bible is not bringing you into contact with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, or the presence of God, or me. He's just talking about himself. You could use any of those terms. It comes down to the same uh, thing in terms of uh, at the experiential level. He says, I want you to drink. And the word drink, it's more than take a sip. It's a continual action. I want you to drink. The one who drinks, it's continual action. Sustain that soaring heart. Don't be content with getting the bonfire. Beloved, getting a bonfire, you know, having a couple few months, you're going hard after God. You got rid of those other desires. You're going hard. Get the bonfire going. You want to drink. The drinks is, he who drinks is talking about a continual Coming back to that well, a continual feeding that thirst. Drinking continually. Because when, here's the thing, you think that if you drink, the thirst goes away, but it's kind of a funny paradox. The more you experience of God, the more thirsty you are for God. It's, it's a strange thing because on one, on one hand, you're satisfied. On the other hand, you have raging thirst. The more satisfied you are by touching Him, the more raging thirst you have for more. It's both and. It's not either or. So it's a paradox. If you drink, you become more thirsty for more of that water. And the surprising thing is the simple, mundane, easy ways that feed the fire. There's no mystery. Any, any new believer, you could, they could be an uneducated person on the, in some hill country that's never heard of anything modern, and they can still feed their spirit. This thing is available to any human heart. It doesn't take any a certain a sophistication to do this. Anybody can do this that wants it. You don't have to go to four years of Bible school to drink from the Spirit of, the, of God. You've got to do it a lot. And, but here's the key phrase. Jesus says, if anybody thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, you've got to believe in me the way I say to believe in me. That's the condition that so many trip up on. They believe in Jesus the way that their church taught them. And Jesus said, no, you believe in me the way I taught you in the Scripture. And I gave you these four things. I don't want to develop them because I gave them the other day. We believe we have a spirit of obedience. When we come before Jesus, when we bring the word to Jesus, I mean, I'm going to talk about this in a minute. That's what we're going to end with in a moment is how to, how to, how to encounter Jesus in the word, how to come to him in the word. But let me tell you this. You can come to Jesus in the word, but you have to have a spirit of dedication, a spirit of obedience. 
One area where you refuse to obey in will, will short-circuit the process. Now, beloved, you can stumble. You can have a weakness that you don't get the victory because you're warring against that weakness. But when you cease to war and you acclimate and say, this area of compromise is now something I accept. I, I'm not even going to war against it anymore. I now accept it. That will short-circuit your ability to experience the flowing heart. One area. I want to say that strong. One area that the Holy Spirit has put His finger on your life and you say no to. Now, beloved, it's very different than the Lord touching you and you say yes. And then you stumble and come back. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. And you stumble again and come back. I'm sorry. Yes. But you're warring and, and the warring against the stumbling still is a spirit of obedience. It really is. So I'm not saying a failure disqualifies you. I'm saying when the time comes, you say, you know what? Just a little pornography here or there won't be so bad. I don't get drunk that often. You know, bitterness, I'm only really bitter at one person. You know, my money is mine. I'll give God everything else. I'm not going to give God regularly. I mean, come on, Lord, I give you my time. I give you my this, my that. My, the other guy says, Lord, I'll give you my money. I don't want to give you my time. Lord, my time's my time. I want to invest it in this, the other. And, and many times the Lord kind of lets you go along, and until he puts his finger on it, you know, you kind of get a little bit of time to go waste your life. Uh, but when the Lord puts his finger on it, you no longer have the option to waste that. And there's a half a dozen areas in all of our lives that we're all kind of bumbling around in. The Lord hadn't put his finger on that area yet. And he says, I'm just kind of letting you go on that one for now. But I'm, one day I'm going to put my finger on that. And I'm going to really say now. And now it's an issue. So there's issues in my life now that were not an issue five years ago. And there's issues in five years that are not issues now. And nobody can tell you what those issues are. But I can tell you this. One issue that the Holy Spirit says puts his finger on your heart and you say no to I'm not even going to war over it. I'm not even going to resist it and, and repent and try to come back and get victory. Just know, the Lord says, that will cut out the fire in your heart. I promise you it's true. Absolutely promise you it's true. Spirit of faith. That's confidence in the love of God. This is where most people come up short. It really is. When they stumble, the Lord says, I forgive you. I love you. I, my affection. They go, I know I'm so bad. I'm even worse than your, your love is great. My negative is more powerful than the greatness of your love. And we need to have a spirit of faith. We need to have confidence in God's affection when we come. Even in our weakness, we are lovely to Him. And that's probably the area that really messes people up the most. Another area is the spirit of devotion. When we read the Word of God, it can't just be an academic Bible study. Though I believe in academic Bible study. I love to search out things at the mind level. I want to know what it means. But I'm not content with that. I want to then turn it into, a, as I study it, I want to bring it. I want to bring that very passage we're going to talk about in a moment to God to where it expands my heart in love. I want an I love you in my spirit when I'm reading the Word of God. And then there's a spirit of giving, a spirit of servanthood. It's the passage in Isaiah 58, verse 10. I don't have it there, but Isaiah 58, verse 10, where the Lord says, And if you extend your soul to others, then your light will shine. If you extend your soul, it's a spirit of giving. I don't mean just money. I'm talking about the servant spirit. It says, you know, doesn't build the, the nice fence. It says, Lord, I'll do this, but never this. And the Lord says, I want you to have a servant spirit, and I will give to you. And so many verses on the servant spirit. And some people will do two out of three, I mean, three out of four, two out of four. Beloved, we've got to do all four of these. We've got to believe in Jesus in the way the Bible says to believe in him. And it takes all four of these. It really does. You can't pick or choose three out of four. Here's the promise. He says, out of your heart will flow rivers. Out of your heart will flow rivers. There are four uh, passages, four phrases, I mean, in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2 to 8. I just want to, 
I just want to highlight them to you, not develop it. Uh, at another time, we'll look at the passage. But it's the, uh, one of the best descriptions of the lovesick heart in the Bible. Well, let's go ahead and turn to it. Song of Solomon, since you're all doing it anyway. Song of Solomon, chapter 5. This is, uh, uh, verse 2 to 8, is to me the clearest description of the, of the lovesick heart. So, okay, it's before Isaiah, okay. After Psalms and before Isaiah. Song of Solomon, chapter 5. Now look at verse 8. The very last line of verse 8. The bride says, I am lovesick. This is, and now she's lovesick. That she's describing, but she's going to describe it in more even, and just, just such clear terminology. She says in chapter 5, verse 2, I asleep, but my heart is awakened. The awakened heart. God says, I want to awaken your heart. I want you to have an awakened heart. And how does the God awaken our heart? By the voice of the bridegroom, by the voice of the beloved. This is the very, the very phrase that John the Baptist is quoting, in essence, in John 3.29, when he says, My joy is full, for I have heard the voice of the bridegroom. He is actually quoting this verse. I don't know if he even meant to. He probably did. But it's the exact concept of Song of Solomon 5.2. The bride says, My heart is awakened because I've heard the voice of the bridegroom. I've heard the voice of the beloved. The way the heart is awakened is when the Word of God, we take the Word, we meditate on it, and it brings us into reality that it's the love, it's, it's the lovesick God speaking to us in weakness. But I don't want to uh, talk so much about the voice of the, of the beloved or the boy, voice of the bridegroom here. I want to say the heart can be awakened. You may be sitting there going, I don't like the Word. Well, hey, I tell you, you're looking at the guy who didn't like the Word. I mean, I, I was kind of scared because all my heroes... Love the Word. I read it. I went, ah, there's that Word thing again. Oh, no, I'm going to have to break down and love the Word. <laughs> and it seems funny now. You think, oh, isn't that cute? It was, I was in pain about it in those couple years when it was happening because I really thought it would never happen to me. I thought I will be the one guy who doesn't like the Bible and never, ever likes prayer. I know I will be the only guy it doesn't work for. How many of you ever felt that way? You've all thought that I'd be the only guy that would be, oh my goodness. See, I just knew that that was a real feeling I had back then. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 4. She says, my heart yearned. Ooh, the yearning heart. Every one of these, these uh, uh, verbs you love to describe. A yearning heart. An awakened heart, a yearning heart. It says uh, uh, in verse, uh, uh, where's it at? I've got it wrong on the notes. Verse 6, I have it here. Song of Solomon. 5.8, it's actually 5.6, says my heart leapt up. My heart, a leaping heart, my heart leapt. How would you like to have a heart that was awakened, that yearned, that leapt when the Word of God touched you? So here's the picture. The Word of God touches your heart. That's the voice of the beloved. Because the, voice, the way God releases His voice to you is through His Word. I mean, there's that time He speaks in a dream or a vision. There's that time He speaks through a message or a song or a worship set, and you're listening to it. But more times than not, He speaks to you directly through the Word. That's where the voice of the beloved comes. So the, the agency in the grace of God is the voice of the bridegroom. It's, it's the Word of God revealing the heart of God to you. But here's what it does. It awakens the heart. The heart is yearns. There's thirst and hunger. Same thing. My heart leapt. It's buoyant. It's alive. A heart leaping. I don't mean under the spirit of heaviness. I don't mean the spirit of depression. I don't mean the spirit of lethargy. Uh, bummed out. Burned out. Who cares? Passive. A heart that's leaping. I mean, there's energy in the heart that leapt up. 
Beloved, God wants me and you to have a heart that leaps at the Word. We read the Word and, and our time is over. And it's not always like this, but our time is over. And we go, ah, that time went so fast. Ah, no, I got an appointment. Wait, uh, no, I got to be at the appointment. Okay, I'm coming right back. I'm rushing right back. That means the heart's leaping. There's a buoyancy in your spirit. And beloved, you don't have to live outside of a heart that, le- that leaps, a heart that yearns, a heart that sighs for more. Uh, this is your inheritance. This is your destiny. Turn the page. Journaling. Just down to about the last uh, six or seven minutes here. But we can cover this. It's just, it's just so simple. But I wanted to lay it out to you on, on paper just in this last five or six minutes. It's just so simple. You can read it, but it's so simple even to say. I think of uh, the phrase that I use is to pray, read the Scripture. Just, I don't know, somebody must have told me way back when, because I've always used that term. Probably got it in a book somewhere and forgot it. And uh, pray, read the Scripture. Now, in journaling, writing it down. Oh, I just really, I, I, I just urge you to do that. I, I just hate to go up there without a pen in my hand. Even when I'm leading in prayer, I just want to have a piece of paper. And I want to have a pen. And I've, as someone told me this 30 years ago, and I've just stayed with it. They said, when you write, more comes. And it doesn't happen all the time, but... More times than not, when I write what comes to me, more comes. And it just starts moving. Journaling is kind of the cool way to say it. Back in then, they just said, pray, read it, and write it. You know, But journaling is kind of the way they say it now. I really urge you to do that. Write it down. I just don't, I don't want to go to a meeting. I don't want to go lead a prayer meeting. I don't want to go to a prayer meeting without a pen. If I don't have a pen, I'm, I'm annoyed. I'll probably steal yours if your eyes are closed. I'll just take it right and send, and then you say, where's my pen going? I don't know. And uh, I have to have a pen if I'm in a prayer meeting. It's, it's, it's important to do that. I don't mean every time, but uh, just nearly every time. As close to every time as you can because it's going to start coming to you. And I found out it's like that little boat out on, on the lake. You put the sail up, even though you can't feel almost any wind blowing. You put that sail up, all of a sudden there's that little wind, the boat begins to move. You journal, you catch those little breezes coming across your spirit. Now, that's a, a word picture. I don't mean you're going to feel some cold breeze come. But, I, I mean, the, 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 you know, the guy's in the lake, and he's got the little boat, and nothing's happening. And he's thinking, huh, and he puts up the, the sail, and all of a sudden it's moving a little bit. He goes, I didn't know any wind was out here. You just start journaling, more happens. I tell you, it just starts happening to you. But here's, here's how I see it. I've divided the Scripture into two main categories. It's, I mean, the Scripture has more than two categories. These are two broad categories. Truths exhorting us to believe something, and truths exhorting us to obey something. Just that simple. One set of Bible verses tell you, believe this. One set of Bible verses tell you, obey this. And there's other categories of the Bible, but I just, just for the sake of my, my devotional life, I break it down to two passages, two types of Bible, uh, two types, categories for Scripture. Number one. Roman number one, truths that exhort us to believe something. Like something, believe something about God. God is love. God is wise. God is powerful. God is smart. God uh, uh, sneaks up on you and surprises you and ambushes you. Just something to believe about God. And there's many, many verses that tell you to believe something about God. There's many things that tell you to believe something about yourself. You are the righteousness of Christ. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are a lover of God. You are called. You are favored. There's many verses. You are the bride. You are sons of God. You are the feminine. Many verses that you're supposed to believe about you. And many verses you're supposed to just believe about the nature of the kingdom. The Lord says, give and it will be given. 
You're supposed to believe it will be given back to you. That's just, that's just the verse to believe about the nature of the kingdom. Many, many verses. Sow and you will reap. You're supposed to believe you're going to reap. Okay, here's what I do. I do two things, A and B, under that. When I read a truth, uh, to, uh, an exhortation to believe something, either about God, ourselves, or the kingdom, it's so simple. You take a moment and you thank Jesus for that specific truth. You just thank Him for it. You take a moment. You don't keep reading. You pause. It says, God is wise. I say, God, I thank you. You are so smart. You are so smart. You pause. 1,001. 1,002. You think, I mean, really smart. And that makes me happy. I've only done it seven seconds, okay? And all of a sudden, you get that little, oh, I like that. I think I might stay there another seven seconds, you know? You just pause and you talk to him about what it says. Okay, let's say it's not a, a verse about believing about God. It's something about yourself. That, uh, that uh, you are loved of God. And I say, Lord, I, I'm loved. I'm favored. Thank you that I'm favored by you. You, you really like me. I mean, you really do. Ooh, that feels as good as you are smart, Lord. I like that one too. That's actually kind of I'm liking it right now. but just practicing. Okay, you take a moment, honestly. You take three to ten seconds, and you say thank you. And you pause, you dial down and say thank you. You won't make it for ten seconds. You'll kind of linger on, and sometimes you'll look up and go, oh my goodness. You'll get lost. Sometimes an air current will come, and you'll stay on that ten or fifteen minutes, and you'll start writing down things. Then the second thing you do about truths you believe, you ask Him to give you more. You reveal more. That's it. You just say, you ask Him to reveal more. And the passage I have here, Song of Solomon 4, 9, I had it as an example of the other one as well. Lord, you have, uh, you have, uh, the Lord is speaking, saying you have ravished my heart. So I just, I thanked him for it in A, and in B, I say, tell me more. Show me more that I've ravished your heart. Show me more, using the illustration a minute ago, how wise you are. Show me more. Give me insight into how smart you are. But remember, God, you're a billion volts. I'm 110 units, so go easy. <laughs> Give me revelation about how favored I am and how loved I am. Just tell me more, the spirit of revelation. That's all you do, and you ask him for it. And you just write a few little ideas that come to you. Oh, it is the way to go. It is the way to go. Okay, let's go to the, the, to the second category. It's the same thing. It's a category that says uh, that uh, uh, truths that exhort you to do something, to obey something. Here in Song of Sol- in A, you, you commit yourself to it. A, it says in Song of Solomon 2.8, it says to arise and follow the Lord to the mountains in that symbolic language and leave the comfort zone behind. It's an exhortation to go, to go do something, to believe, to, to reach out in a new activity. What you do is you commit yourself. You say, you take a few moments and you say, Lord, I, I am giving myself to this. I'm, I'm saying yes. When it says, bridle your tongue, redeem the time, spend time wisely, forgive your enemy. Give money. Serve people. Be kind. There's many, many exhortations. Encourage one another. Be friendly. I mean, just, you know, all of them. Keep your word. You just, whatever the, the, the exhortation is, take a moment and stop and say, I'm going, I'm going to do it, Lord. I'm setting my heart. I'm going to do it. I'm said yes. I don't mean you just kind of nod as you go to the next verse. Stop for five to ten seconds. And many times you'll do it in five or ten seconds, and many times you'll be there 20 minutes later. It don't try to make it long. Just do whatever happens, and the Lord will let that air current, br- that breeze blow on your spirit. Then the second thing I do, instead of saying, Lord, yes, I'll do it, 
I say, help me now. Help me to do it. Lord, you've told me to uh, redeem my time, forgive the enemy. You've told me to give my money, to serve, keep my word, bridle my tongue. You've told me all these things, and now, and B, I say, Lord, help me, empower me. Help me to remember it. You know, how many times, I mean, you're already in the middle of the sin, and you go, now I remember, Lord. I'm already halfway in it. I hear I am in this juicy story slandering somebody. And now I remember slander's bad. You know, I'm half in the story. I used to tell the Lord this. If you could like remind me before I get to the punchline, because you know, I would get right to the punchline and I couldn't tell. Then I got convicted. I went, oh gee, I mean, now the fun part is here. I want to give the the final and more times than not I did and then repented. But I said, Lord, it would be better, it would be better if you could like give me the nudge on the front end. Help me to remember and give me power and desire. Power means desire. It means to remember it and to desire it. It's really what it means. I mean, when God gives you the power to obey something, He, he lets you remember it. I mean, it, it actually, that is a key part of it. It really is. And then, having the desire to do it in that moment. That's what it means for God to give you power. And then you, you write it down, and if you want to speed up the process, you throw a little fasting in. You really do. Fasting is a catalyst. Fasting doesn't move God. Fasting moves you. Fasting tenderizes your heart at a faster pace. Beloved, if you do this, you do this, this simple little layout in your Bible study, sitting there in that chair, sitting wherever you are. I'm just picturing you sitting here in IHOP, and not that you have to sit here to do it. You're reading your 10 chapters a day. You read 10 chapters of the New Testament a day. You read the New Testament. You do that six days a week. You'll read it once a month. And you just go. Now, take it a little while if you stop and do this. But, it, I mean, it's a great way to live. Others of you, you're, 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 you're not doing the ten chapters every uh, day. You're not reading the New Testament once a month. You're studying a book of the Bible. You're going through a Bible study uh, plan that uh, we talked about some uh, weeks ago. And I gave you the notes on that. And we, you get the notes out there if you want it. And we got the tape back there. An action plan for Bible study. How to study it in a real simple way. And some people are like studying one month. Like I'll study Matthew one month. And I'll read the whole New Testament the next month. And go back and study Mark the next month. Do it any way that you want to do it. How many of you are trying the ten times, reading ten chapters a day? I want you to raise your hand. I want you to stand up. Anyone that's doing that, I want you to stand up. Like, I don't care if it's just a few of you. I've had several of you have come to me. Go ahead. If you're doing ten chapters a day, I mean, that's what you're trying to do. I want you to stand up. I'm going to pray for you. That's why. I'm not showing you off. I'm going to pray for you in a second. <laughs> I've had several come to me. Actually, some not even standing here. It said, this is changing my life. I've only been doing it a couple of weeks. It is, like, really cool. Uh, you know why a lot of people don't read the Bible? Because they don't know where to start. It is absolutely true. They get there, they got their hour, they got their coffee, they're ready to go, and they go, they, they, they thumb through it, they go, hmm, Matthew, Matthew. Yeah, I liked Matthew last time. Uh, Mark, where should I start? No, I think I'll start in Isaiah. No, Isaiah's boring. No, let's do James. What's James about? You know, 20 minutes have gone by, and they go, hmm. Somebody taps them on the shoulder, and they go. More people don't read the Bible because they don't have a time set for it. And they don't know where to start. It's just, it's just that simple. It honestly is. It's mind-blowing how simple it is. And the devil steals that ability to keep their heart on fire. Now, how many of you have an action uh, plan where you're studying some book of the Bible? You're going after it right now in some kind of way. I want you to stand. Okay? I'm going to pray for all of you. Again, you know why a lot of people don't read the Bible? They don't have a time set, and they don't know a, a book to study. They just never thought about it. They're thinking they're just going to randomly like it one day and the time is going to make itself. It will not make itself. You have to go after that time. And you have to have a plan. Okay, now the others of you, now you're going to go, oh, you're being mean now. No, I'm not. I'm I'm making you operating grace. The rest of you, I want you to stand up and lay hands on these guys. 
For real. I want the rest of you to stand up, turn around and lay hands on these guys. You're going to pray with me. I'm going to ask the Lord to release something on them. You don't have to if you don't want to. But go ahead and lay hands on those that are standing. Okay? Go ahead and turn around. So you, and most of them are standing behind you. I'm going to pray for a minute. I'm going to ask the Lord to start a bonfire in IHOP on the Word of God. Now, this seems mean. You're thinking, how can I pray for this guy? It's called the grace of God. That's it. You love Jesus. You don't have to have a Bible study plan to love Jesus. The grace of God's on you, and I need your hands right now. Okay? (laughs) Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask you to start a bonfire in this community of believers. Lord, I'm talking about taking this thing up a notch. I'm asking you for thirst. I'm asking for raging thirst for the Word of God. I'm asking you for a burning fire in the heart. Lord, I ask you that you would take the little flicker, the free initial awakening of thirst, and you would make it raging thirst for the presence of God, for the anointing. Lord, take those ten chapters a day. Take that Bible study plan. Show them, Lord, how to encounter you in this simple little uh, uh, layout. How they can feel your presence and make their heart flow like a river. And Lord, I ask you in Jesus' name, set the heart on fire right now. I'm just going to wait for a moment. I'm really serious about this. I want to have the worship team come up if they would. But Lord, I ask you to give them confidence that the flowing heart is theirs. And I, I rebuke a spirit of unbelief and a spirit of passivity that says, oh, that believe that flowing heart really, I mean, it's for, it's for other guys who have traveling ministries or something. That lie. Beloved, it's for you. I, I rebuke that lie in your heart that says you can't do this. You can't have a flowing heart. I'm praying for those who are reading the Word for that Bible study plan. Now, I want those that are on my prayer team here, go ahead and pray your prayer over them, if you would. You you don't have to pray it out loud. You can pray it quiet if you want, but pray your prayer over them. Lord, release your heart. Lord, I want IHOP to be known in the Spirit, not in the nations, in the Spirit, as being mighty in the Word. I want angels and demons to know there's a place in the earth, not one, We're one of the places in the earth that are mighty in the Spirit and in the Scripture. I want this place mighty in the Scripture. I want our spirits to flow mighty in the Scripture. And I ask for that that, uh, promise that it described Apollos in Acts 18. He was mighty in the Scripture. Lord, I ask that you would raise up 15-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 80-year-olds that become mighty in the Scripture. Acts chapter 18, Apollos. That anointing of Apollos would rest upon them. They say, I don't even uh, know the Bible. That doesn't matter. You can know it more in the next couple of years. That you would be mighty. You would understand it with revelation. You would speak it with authority, even if you never talk at a microphone. I ask for that Apollos anointing. An Apollos anointing. That man in Acts 18, who you said was mighty in the Word of God. Loose it in this house. And I ask that in the Spirit, we would be mighty in the Scripture. And that angels and demons would see the power of it in our midst.